I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to It's the Journey. This is part two of my interview and conversation with my friend, coach, teacher, fellow improviser, Andy Slowey. We spent, uh, we spent, I think last time I mentioned we talked, I was taking a risk and I was doing something new where I was recording from home for the first time and using my equipment. And this, I have this uh, wonderful system that I, that I bought that it keeps not working well with my computer. And I thought I had it all figured out. And then 10, 20 minutes before my episode with Andy, I discovered it was still doing this funky thing where it shuts off after a little while. So I had to use a different microphone that just didn't, I was a little frustrated because the sound quality is just not quite the same. It was fine, but um, that had me a little bit frustrated or flustered, I guess. So I ended up getting really deep in this conversation with Andy and really not watching the time at all because we were just having so much fun. And and we went almost, you know, 20 minutes shy of two hours. So instead of just posting one really long, long episode, I decided to cut it in uh, in a spot where it made sense. So this is the second half of my episode with Andy. Um, we were, uh, when we ended last week, we were just talking about how, you know, sometimes on stage, uh, a team will, will maybe take a risk or go somewhere and they might go someplace that maybe is perhaps challenging for the audience to accept or they have troubles with it. And, 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 and the, the point is that you, you uh, you learn and you grow and what what Andy said that I really really resonated with me that it's not a finished product it's a it's a process it's a practice so that's that's so great because I mean this is this thing that you're doing live with your friends and it's it's I've described it before as mental skydiving you're just jumping out there and trying to do things and you're doing your best and we're human beings and you might mess up and messing up could be something that's not funny or something that's um, just didn't land well. And so as long as you're willing to learn and grow, then you keep going, which is a wonderful analogy for life. So with all that, let's dive into the second part of my uh, interview with Andy Slowey. But again, as always, don't forget, please, to like and subscribe. If you're liking this episode, please share it. Um, uh, more and more of my friends have been sharing episodes that that uh, that they like with their friends, and it makes a difference in the audience. It makes a difference. I can you can I can see it directly. So please don't be shy about that. Don't be don't keep me a secret. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Let's dive into the second part of my conversation with Andy Slowey. Thanks. Yeah, you mentioned that like. Uh... Not, you know, certain things of an actor may or may not want to, to an area they may or may not want to go. Right. That, that has nothing to do with the audience. Right. Like when, you know, I, I was at a scene once where the two other players were playing the part of kids. And it was the deal. It hit, it hit so close to home because it was a, it was a jokey scene about their parent dying of, of cancer mm. and like 
my mom had just died of cancer. Like it was like, and I was the other parent and they were my kids and they were like really making light of this whole thing. And they didn't think about that. They didn't know that, but I found myself, you know, and I was like, how do I, how do I get out of this? Like, right. It was, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I, 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 if you, I I don't, sorry, I interrupted. I, I always say in, in stuff like that, it's important to play the, the, that's, you got the highs and the lows, right? Yeah. Like the lows is the humanity. It's important to play the truth and the humanity of those moments, you know? Right. Like, so it's like, yeah, I'm, if I'm, I'm the parent Oof. who just lost their significant other and my kids are joking about it. Like I would feel free to be like, I'm going to go deep on you guys. I'm going to go way underneath the iceberg that's underneath the, the, yeah. the whole thing. And then it's it's it suddenly goes from then being a sh- potentially shitty two dimensional jokey scene into something that is very potentially moving um, when you actually start speaking the truth and the the honest truth of how that feels in that moment. Yeah, um, yeah, and see what you discover from that. Yeah, I, I think there there was a scene where I was doing with um, with Katie Paul once. I talk about it a lot because it felt really good. It was in a Herald format, so it, it we got to revisit the relationship multiple times. But it was a scene between a grandkid and a, and a grandmother, and it started off relatively light because the grandmother was dying, and the grandkid didn't understand it and was kind of innocent about it. But the joke was the joke, the game, the relationship dynamic was that the kid didn't understand what the grandmother was going through, and then it kind of grew in depth. Um, so that it was very, it was sad. Like we were both crying in the second beat scene of it because we were, she was like the first scene, she wasn't in the hospital. And then time dash forward into the second scene where she was on her deathbed in the hospital and the kid was uh, wondering how he was going to ever see, if he was going to ever see her again. And it was still like balancing like light and dark and just through the honest, honest reactions of the kid reacting to the hospital, reacting to what the grandmother was going through. And like, just, but it's like the truth of that moment. There's machines and there's breathing machines and there's, there's IVs and there's all this machinery and stuff to then going to the third beat scene where we came out of the group game in the second group game where I was left on stage by myself in a position that was kind of weird. And then Katie came on and the kid was practicing astral projection so that he could go to the place where his grandma was to be able to see the grandma, right? Yeah. So it was, it was the most clear, like, in a Herald scene that I've ever been in that was, like, dink, 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 yeah. moving through. But also, like, really having having some really honest, truthful, serious moments that then give you the ground, that gives you the solid footing to be able to have truthful lighter reactions to stuff in the moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. And in uh, any, scene, any scene like that, it's always, even if you make, and I was going to mention this earlier, if you make a, a boneheaded decision in the moment because it's improvisation and you build a character that you don't like, that you, accid- you accidentally stumble into an area that is full, filled with minefields, it's, a, it's filled with mines, it's a minefield, um, that could trigger people, like the only way to, you're there, right? You're in the scene. There's an audience there. Unless you're edited out, your, your, your obligation as an improviser is to play as truthfully as possible. Like you immediately have to recognize the situation and then decide, I'm going as deep as possible. I have to root this out. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, like you're, you're, you're potentially stopping the scene when the optics are bad. 
Yeah. And you don't, you might be, you might be punching down in some capacity. So you have to immediately do a deep dive um, to get to the truth of whatever's going on actually in that moment um, to, to rectify it and to kind of circle the square. Yeah. No, no, no. Because that's, it happens just because of the, you know, stuff squirts out of your mouth and you're like, ooh, that wasn't what I wanted it to sound like. How can I revert? Melanie and I did a two-person show. My, my partner, Melanie, and I did a two-person show before pandemic started. And like, we ended up in like the first scene in like this Thanksgiving day thing when we were talking about like the first Thanksgiving and we both were cognizant of the fact that the scene was going like in a really weird direction. So we were like, we don't have to do this scene anymore. So we just addressed the audience. We're like, we're not going to do that one anymore. They don't like where that one was going. And it was starting to get really kind of gross and confusing. So we're just going to start over. We don't like it. <laughs> you feel awkward. And it's like vulnerable, right? Like as an improviser, you're breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience saying like, we fucked up. That yeah. was, we don't like that. Right. Just so we're all aware. Can we yeah. start over? Great. New suggestion? Yeah. Wonderful. But then we did it again and we stumbled into something like, we apologize. We also did the same thing to this scene. Can we have another? And then eventually, you know, it started rolling. But that is part of that relationship with the audience where it is malleable. And the audience is part of the, and that's what we're missing out on right now with virtual is that we don't have the audience in the room with us helping yeah. to create this 360 degree thing that you influence the audience. The audience reacts in some way, which then influences you subtly. Like some part of your brain is picking up on the audience reactions, which then helps you reinforce your character and the choices that you're making mm-hmm. so that you get to build um, this mutually uh, responsive thing going on. And it's something, another real quick tangent, one of the things that we also studied in this class that I took in, in college, I think I audited it twice after I took it because I loved it so much, was it's a whole bunch of theater practitioners and directors that would create moments before the show even starts where the audience and the performers would warm up together so that it would be build a communal nature together um, where they'd have to enter into this, this, this ritual space together so that the audience is no longer judging the players, right? You go to see a show that your friend's in, you're like, yeah, I'm going to root for my friend regardless of what happens. So to be able to transcend that audience performer relationship and turn it into a unit then makes for a more rewarding experience wow. for all participants. That's really cool. Yeah, the whole the whole room is a we. Yeah, it's not us and them. Right, and it, it 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 then you don't you don't you don't have to hide behind like ah oh, the audience didn't like it or the audience didn't like me or or I blah 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 blah. It's just we are all one and we're all working together to create this thing. That's. There's, there's, another, there's another tangent I wanted to go on to, but I wanted, I wanted to talk about that, like where where the, 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 the energy and relationship that you have as a performer with the audience is so different from, from night to night. Where like, because uh, I've sat in the audience next to people who were, they were muting their laughter. They were holding their mouth so they wouldn't laugh out loud. Right. And I wanted to be like, let that out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's again psychological safety. What is appropriate for me to do in this in this yeah. context? How can I? And that's like you get you. It's everything. God, I, I, I it made me. That just made me think about this workshop that I did for. Uh, oh, I don't remember the group. It was a medical a medical group. Some some huge conference in St. Louis. It was the biggest. It was like the biggest uh, thing that I'd ever done at the improv shop to date. And this was like three or four years ago. And it was doing a basically a, a 30 or I think it was 30 minute talk 
um, in, in front of a group of, I think, 500 or 600 people. And it was like, we had a, there was a countdown thing, which how much time I had. And I think John Langan and Katie Nunn were there to like play games as example. And he got a couple audience participants up over the thing. But like the very first thing that I did was like, all right, we're going to play a game called uh, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. And My Bonnie My, Lo- My Bonnie Lives Over the Ocean, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean is just a call and response singing game where every time you say a word that starts with B, you stand up. And if you sing another word that starts with B, you sit back down. Okay. I had the entire audience do this thing, right? <laughs> so we're like, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean, My Bonnie Lies Over the Sea, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean, Bring Back My Bonnie to Me, Bring Back, Bring Back, Bring Back My Bonnie to Me, to Me. So you're standing up, sitting down in this crazy thing. So they're all looking goofy. I'm yeah. on stage in a suit looking like a total dork. (laughs) Like being vulnerable in front of a group of 500 to 600 people so that I've created this malleable audience performer relationship that I can then utilize Mm -hmm. to further communicate the message that I'm trying to communicate with everybody. But by basically being processed, prostrate by the end of this thing because I'm out of breath. Like, I'm down, up, down, up, down. <laughs> right. like, all right, hold on. All right, good. Everybody feel good? And some people didn't participate, but they still got to look around and be like, bah, this is great. Ah. Right? So it's, it's, it's building that, just like expectations too. The audience, if an audience knows how to behave in the moment and they're, they're there for you, then it's a much more rewarding experience than if the audience is stayed and silent yeah. and uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm afraid to laugh. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about people's comfort and willingness to kind of go with or take notes and grow. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that uh, this Wilbur talks about with developmental psychology is that he describes empathy as a measurement of consciousness. And, you know, someone's Empathy is the sense of their circle of who they consider to be we. And if someone's not part of a we, then they're a third person object, a he, she, or it. Gotcha. That when, some, when they look at someone as a, as a third person, that's when bad things happen. They, right. e- even if it's just how you treat you know, your server when you go out to eat. Right. If they're just, quote, just the waiter or, quote, just the cashier versus a human being that, you know, um, and you, it's, you know, we're born and, you know, you don't even have a sense of I, and then at some point you develop a sense of self and then you develop a, a ability to take on second person perspective and that keeps growing. But with every human, it stops at some point and they may or may not continue to grow through their life. But like if, if someone's sense of we is only my my political party and my family and my religious group and people that I um, associate with, and they can't take on the perspective of others. You're not going to take them from this small circle to being able to be at the furthest level where you're able to, to recognize the rights of all humans. Right. And, and, so someone who happens to stumble into a class because they saw a show or a TV right. show and thought it was funny right. isn't going to go from, from A or you know, from level from C to J. And, and some people get upset by that because they don't like the concept of hierarchies. Like, well, no, 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 you're judging and you're bad. And, that's, and it's not, it's, it's just like, you know, I never took calculus, so I couldn't go. My son has a math degree and like, right. I, I can't, 
I, he wrote a paper and he yeah. asked me to, I, I can't even understand. I don't know. I can't help. I don't, under, I don't know <laughs> what this, any of this stuff means. And that's, yeah. that's, I don't take offense to that, but there's, but there, all of us are at different levels of empathy and understanding and someone can't, you can't take your, your grandpa that grew up in one world and all of his friends think a certain way. You can't take him from here to, you know, to the, to wherever you might be with whatever. Yeah. And it doesn't. Yeah. So. It's, it, I think you, I think you, I think you can, but you have to be that you have to be willing to. And it's just like, and it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean that, and it's at its highest, highest minded. Like that's what I think. That's what I think improv. I think truthfully, that's what I think improvisation can do, is yeah. move people in that, and at least starting them in that direction. Right. Well, what what they're saying is they can get there, but you can't go from here. You can't go from from level C to, to J. Yeah, you can't jump it. You have to. You. It's a. It's a step by step by step by step, letter by letter. Exactly, and that's where instead of like hierarchies, this guy describes it as holarchies. Whereas like circles within circles within circles. So like each level transcends, but includes all the prior levels. Right. Yeah. Which is how everything in the universe is organized. You know, we're right. our, our bodies are made up of organs, which are made up of cells, which are made up of particles, which are made up of, do I have um, particles and atoms mixed up? We're not scientists. Atoms, particles, and then quarks and <laughs> on and on and on. So like each thing, you know, transcends but includes the prior things and can't you know we can't hate carbon yeah (laughs) yeah it's like it's like that whole joke meme where it's like the guy with the it's like the brain it's like the the head the human head like oh and then it's like the brain is lighting up and then it's like the brain is exploding and then it's like full transcendence full understanding of whatever the thing is and usually there's some kind of joke meme paired with every image Uh moving that moving along the way anyway yeah yeah it's like exactly yeah 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 Yeah, moving (laughs) forward it's moving towards enlightenment in some in some capacity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and certainly yeah and that's 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 was you know from a where people get confused with improv and therapy is that it has these things that allow you to like become more comfortable with yourself and, and be able to speak your truth. Uh, and, and maybe through the, the trust exercises you do, you gain the ability to like open up to people in a way you hadn't before and trust them and, right. and trust yourself. And then if you're able to carry those things off stage, then you're like, wow, it changed my life. And you're right. telling all your friends to take improv classes. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's it, and I, that's the thing that we've long said. I, I again, this is I keep saying it, but this is stuff I've say say all the time. But like um, the, the the I think Kevin described it like this a long time ago was that the uh, and it's also like a Bernie Solins of the Second City. Like he has a similar similar quote thing, but it's basically like that the comedy is a red herring, like the funny is a red herring. It's it's like it's almost like the the shows are there to be like, hey, look, look at this keys. These keys are fucking great. This is fun. And then you get into it and you see the underpinnings that make those keys happen at the, again, the tip of the iceberg. And then the process involved with getting there is a personal journey of 
like uh, empathy and vulnerability and all that stuff. And that's what we're actually after. We're actually after the connections and the community that the lessons build and engender. And we're not, at the end of the day, this is just here to serve as like a vector or a facilitator to get to that thing. Yes. And like uh, Bernie Sollins talks about with Second City, the quote's up on the improv shop wall on main stage. I can't remember exactly what it is, but he's like, we, we do this date night. We, 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 we function as a date night in order to be able to bring people together to laugh in one space and be able to be a, a group of humans experience. He doesn't say ritualistic, but it is basically a ritualistic experience, mm-hmm. which is the things that like standing around a fire and, and doing whatever we used to do as primitive human beings, we just kind of did it naturally, these ritualistic behaviors uh, to bring ourselves closer to one another. Yeah. And it's like the mod, a modern day, as close to a modern day ritual as you could get without going into like something spiritual like religion, which is, which is like, I think a, a improv is a completely, uh, uh, what's it called when it's not religion? Set. There's a word starts with an S. It's secular. Totally, secular. It's yes. a secular. It's a secular ritualistic activity. Yeah, uh, which is building of community and. Yeah, it's it's yeah it is it is a because a religion, religion at its best should should function as a thing that that helps us see, uh, look at what's what's right and wrong. Right. You know, like you know, Plato. Plato called the, the good, the true, and the beautiful. You know, so science at its best tells us what's true. You know, what happens when you heat up water? What happens if you dump this chemical in a lake? A religion stripping away the mythic aspects of it and the ritualistic aspects of it should be there as like what's right and what's wrong, you know? Um, and, but uh, improv is, is, is a community activity that, yeah, that brings people together and helps people connect and through that connection helps you, you know, learn and grow and, and yeah. laugh and, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of all that, like, uh, you know, the improv shop, like so many restaurants and theaters and things has been closed for a year now. Yeah. More than a year at this point, we closed in, I think March 15th of 2020. Now we're on into almost a year and a month. Oof. Yeah. Almost into May. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, I got my first shot a week ago, Friday. Oh, congrats. I took my younger son in today for his first shot, my older son. So like, I'm, I'm like, well, 41% of the country's had at least one shot. Yeah. Uh, so is there, a, is there a light at the end of that tunnel for yeah. the- I think so. I mean, we're in a, we're in a pretty, in a pretty relatively lucky position where, um, I have a I have another day job now. I was the general manager of the improv shop when we were running and we were open. And I've got I was lucky enough to get another job after I mean like towards the end of 2020 when we were like, yeah, there's not really any way forward with this context to be able to pay anybody to do anything anymore. Yeah. Um and then it goes to like help keep the thing at least in full hibernation mode um for the time being, um, while we still wait for uh, the vaccine rollout to happen and then everybody get fully vaccinated. I'm, I, I get my second one next Friday. And Sweet. Then, yeah. Melanie got a J&J several weeks ago, so she's all good to go. Nice. But it's like, you just gotta, it's a hard process. We're like looking at options to be able to, because like there are bars that are opening in St. Louis and there have been, like you go out in St. Charles, there's been bars that have been open the entire time, I'm sure. But like, 
there's bars that are opening in, in the Grove, and we're thinking about uh, how do we how do we get ourselves geared up, get re-geared up to get start small again. It's not a process that we're unfamiliar with and that we opened. When we first started, when Kevin first started the improv shop, it was just him teaching classes for a year with like a couple of cohorts moving through. Um, and then when we first moved in to start doing shows, we did shows twice a month on Thursdays. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it's like it's probably going to be a process that mirrors that. Um, and we're lucky enough that we have a building. Um, yeah. That we can work that we can work in as opposed to having some kind of lease situation. Um, so it's just slowly figuring out stuff. It's just hard because you don't have any. I'm Kevin has multiple jobs. I have another job. Everybody yeah. has kind of, kind of gone out to the winds and is kind of spread out a little bit. Um, we're just trying to figure out ways to come back and slow, small. restaff, and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just building it really slowly. Um, to match our abilities at the moment. It's uh-huh. not like a switch that you can flip back on that immediately turns everything back on. Mm-hmm. The good thing is I think those, there's going to be a lot of changes to how stuff is run generally. It's probably not going to come back with the same kind of systems. It's probably going to have some different curriculum. It's probably going to have additional curriculum sets for like coaches and teachers and a bunch of other stuff. That's cool. Um, yeah, so the future of it looks looks really looks really good. It's just getting through the complications that you have when you're restarting anything from basically nothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just reminds me, I, here's like, you know, some at some point early on to this, the airline companies start flying their planes to the desert in Phoenix to mothball them. Right. And now they're like trying to like get them ready again and rehire yeah. pilots. And, you know, so when I'm, when I'm excited about, for the economy in general, but, you know, improv and all the things I care about is that I think once, once it's up and running the next several years should look good because people, people have, are so sick of not doing anything. Right. Like I want to go try something new and meet people. And, you know, they, you know, they just yeah. single people like, you know, yeah, know, the improv shop is already getting like, we're getting a, a pretty, decent influx of like requests for um, professional workshops. Like, like we hadn't gotten any for a year. Right. But now like people are like groups are coming back together and you got to think about it. Like just in terms of like what you were talking about, this isn't just any ordinary time, right? Right. It's wildly extraordinary. This Mm -hmm. happened once a hundred years ago. Right. And what happened after that? The roaring twenties happened, you know, like, it's not not lost on it's not lost on any of us like how the implications for what something the a return to not business as usual but like a return to a post little COVID, bit of, yeah, yeah post covid world hopefully will be an explosion of art and togetherness and community yeah so like and i think like there's like we've just been talking about there's a better way to get people together in a room celebrating one each other each other and starting to be able to melt the ice that formed over all of our, like, I don't want to touch anybody or talk to anybody that's within six feet. Like improvisation is again, a perfect vector to start getting people back together. Yeah. Well, going back to where we started, the, the birth of humanism, the birth of Comedia dell'arte, that all followed the black plague. Right. Right. And so we, we didn't have that kind of mortality impact, yeah. but it certainly will have, like you said, have an impact on people's view of life or what, what do I want in my life? I want more joy and happiness and connection and fun. Truth. Yeah. And truth. And, 
um, all the, you know, the thing, you know, so people had a lot of times to just, I've keep, I've kept, I've kept, I've been calling this the grand timeout, you know, like yeah. you're sitting in your room thinking about, thinking about stuff and whether it's been painful or joyful or you've learned something or we've all had a lot of time to think about what, what's, what's next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, even if it sucks and it was hard. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Um, and I think the, in terms of improv in St. Louis, like regardless of what, what happens, like I don't, there's enough people doing improv or that have, were performing it at one point that have a, that feel like a pull to do it. Like regardless of what happens with the improv shop individually, like it will continue to grow and thrive in St. Louis as we all come back, you know, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, which is very cool. Cause that's something I talked about. I've talked about this a billion times, but I can remember back, back when the improv shop started, like trying to book a show, an improv show coming back to St. Louis from Chicago. I was like, let's get some improv. Let's do an improv show. And it was like, yeah, you could have like, there's like three teams maybe. And they just started practicing. So, and that was the entirety of the group, but that was the entirety of people that were interested in long form improv at the time, you know, and the whole city and the whole city. So to see it grow in leaps and bounds over the last 10 years has been like super rewarding and Uh almost like a, like a uh, proof of concept that, yeah, this is something that is valuable yeah. and it's something that people uh, uh, are drawn to. Um, mm-hmm. so and I don't, I don't have any da- data to prove, provide, prove it, but I, I think it has part, part of, part of it has to do with this is an integral art form and people want to grow and learn and connect. And it allows, it allows for all those things in just a really unique, fun way. Yeah. And for sure. again, I'm, for that, I'm I'm grateful that it's there and grateful that you've been such a big part of it and impacted my life personally. So thank you. Um, you're welcome. I'm uh, glad. I'm glad. One of my initial things I was that I want to have. I want there to be a lot of people to improvise with. So yes. I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you do it, and I'm glad that I get to hang out with you and do stuff with you. Absolutely. Same. So I can't. I'm looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to like uh, like everybody. Uh, the day that the day that that announcement pops up on Facebook or whatever it is that yeah you know we get to even you know have a beer together and, and uh, or be on stage at some point so yeah for sure it's coming it's coming so I have a real uh, quick uh, uh, I have a real quick uh, uh, black plague story you want to hear a real quick black plague story yeah science you mentioned the black plague uh, black plague killed a whole bunch of people right in Europe. Yep. Ton of people, whole bunch of people. So there was like the population initially was a bunch of people sleeping all over each other and sleeping in the same like little hovels, right? Because you didn't have any room and there's a ton of people in Europe. So the Black Plague came through and wiped out a bunch of the population and people were worried about like being close to one another, right? So like the houses that used to house like a family of 10 or 15 now housed like maybe two or three. So they could spread out. Right. So people weren't of people weren't as much of a vector for the disease anymore. Uh-huh. So the strain of whatever the virus or bacteria, well, I think it was a bacteria that I don't know. I'm not I a scientist. It. Yeah. Whatever caused it transitioned and mutated from uh, being the, the thing that caused the Black Plague to being the thing that caused syphilis. So what? that was how it shifted and changed. It, it moved from transitioning through whatever the bobules or glob- globules, whatever formed the bubons, the, bub- the bubonic, yeah. whatever that was. Flea bites. Yeah, yeah. It moved into and it, it mutated into uh, yeah, syphilis. 
I think really? I, I learned that in a class at some point, and I don't know the details of the specifics. <laughs> but it's because you couldn't get it through just normal touch or normal contact anymore. Then it was like sexually transmitted. Out, yeah, it turned into a sexually transmitted disease because that's when people were. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was things were connected. I think it uh, is. I got to look that up, but did, don't quote me on it. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a mystery. Do you, yeah. do you not like uh, where the where um. Because it was during this time period that the word quarantine was coined. Oh, really? I don't think I know this. Okay. So it's interesting because different parts of Europe had different, you know, different levels of understanding. And Venice was one of the wealthiest cities and it was its own country for, for it was a republic for a thousand years. Yeah. And so it was one of the wealthiest republics in the Western world, at least. Because it was it was the hub of trade for everything from from the Byzantine Empire up through Europe, yeah. And they had a lot of really smart and connected and people. And like for a long time, they thought of themselves as like Roman until eventually they got this idea because they were Romans that fled to these islands to be safe from the Germans. And eventually yeah. they eventually they were like, oh well, I guess we're Venetians now. But uh, in the middle, in, when the when the plague started showing up, they had enough. They didn't understand the science of it. They didn't understand what it was. They didn't understand it, but they knew it was. They didn't think of it as a um, it, it, like it was. Um, they didn't think of it in terms of like, uh, well, it's, um, it's in myth in uh, what are they, in mystical terms, or it wasn't right. anything. It wasn't because they made God angry, and it wasn't right. because of Jewish people, and it right. wasn't because of witches. Uh, they're like, it seems to happen when foreigners come. Right. And then, so what they did was they built these, on one of the islands, they built these giant buildings where new people that, not even new people, anyone that came from the East where the trading was happening had to stay there for 40 days before then they were allowed into oh. the general public. And that's, yeah, okay, I understand. I, now, I think I, do, I think I do know this and I know where that, yeah. So then that, the, na- the number of days is 40. Court was forty, which then yeah. in it, 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 Italian is quaranta. Quaranta means forty. Yeah. A quarantino means a period of forty days. It yeah. isn't like a semester is semestri six months. Yeah. Uh, cool. a settimana means week in Italian, which means you know, seven you know seven days. That's settimana. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So quarantino was just meant forty days. That's all it meant. <laughs> but that's. Now, so that was, you know, but, but a couple century later in the 15th well, century and a half later in the 1500s, not every city and country was that forward thinking. Like in Milan, in the late 1500s, there was a plague and their, their solution was if a household had a sick person in it, they nailed the door shut from the outside until everybody in it was dead. Cool. So, <laughs> burn it out. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty fascinating where some, where some of this stuff comes from. And, yeah, awesome. Uh, echoes through time. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, cool. I know we could probably do another hour on just history <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And maybe we could do that one day. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but cool. Well, hey, uh, I, I'm so grateful that you joined me. And I always love talking with you. And I hope this was helpful to people. And uh, I can't wait to, to see you again and be, sure. be at the theater. and. Do the thing we love. Ditto. 100%. So, outstanding. Well, all right. Well, thank thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon, hopefully. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Carlo. All right. Thanks, Eddie. 
Okay, everybody, that was a wrap of the second of two episodes with Andy Slowey. Man, this is a, is a year of firsts, beginning a podcast, and I wrote a book, and now I had a conversation so long, I had to break it up into two pieces. Exciting. So I hope you enjoyed that. I, I keep saying this. This is as fun as I thought it would be. I, I'm so fortunate. I feel so, so grateful to have so many beautiful wonderful people in my life that inspire me, that, 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 that push me, that help me grow. And Andy is one of those people. He's just a great human being, a great teacher, a great coach, a great manager at the theater, a great father. And, and, and I know he's a great partner with, with our, with our, you know, with Melanie. Um, I started to say our mutual friend, she's his partner, my friend. Anyway, just, just, just a great person, and I, I hope you saw that. I, I, if you, if, if you made it this far, certainly, certainly you did. He's a great guy. I, I always learn a lot when I talk with him. I always learn a lot when I'm taught by him. We, we covered a lot of territory from you know basic improv to you know psychology to things in history to all the that's that's kind of like on our conversations how they go when we're when we're when we're together. So I hope you enjoyed that. The uh, improv shop, they're going to start having a new round of classes in June. So if you're looking for something new to do, I think they'll still be online at that point, but try that. I've, I, I just, just say yes. You have no idea. It may not turn into a passion you're doing five years from now, but you'll meet some new friends. You'll learn, you'll grow, you'll do something if it's a little bit scary that, that pushes you to gain some confidence that may ultimately then push you to try something else that you're excited about. Uh, if professionally, if, if you can just get past the fear of getting up on stage and acting silly and having fun with your friends, after a certain point of doing improv, the idea of speaking for work, you know, speaking with anything that I do professionally became so easy. So I, I don't get nervous about you know the, the way I used to where because if you can get up on stage and make stuff up and have fun and be silly then the idea of talking about something that you know you're you're you've got is so is so much easier so even if it's you know even if it's just for for some professional development of getting past that fear of being on stage getting past the fear of public speaking give it a shot worst thing that will happen is you'll learn you'll grow and you'll make some friends and that is awesome. So that I believe is a wrap. I'm grateful for Andy, grateful he came on the show, grateful for all of you listening, all the kind feedbacks and 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 uh, the likes and subscribes. You know, as always, don't forget to do that. That really, really, really does make a difference. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'm trying to grow this and I appreciate all your help and love and support along the way. And I wish you all the, the, uh, the strength and the, the love as you pursue those things that are calling you. And as always, enjoy your journey. 